0: Hi everyone, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy, a podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep. For all of our new listeners, welcome. And for those of you who have been listening to every episode for a while now, welcome back. The show keeps growing. Because of all of your support. And I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's been listening to the show. And the people who support the show on Patreon. And are part of making each show possible. Just a reminder, if the show works for you. And you want to be part of making a show. You can go to patreon.com slash sleepy and donate even a dollar a month, or two dollars. Or five dollars gets you access to our Patreon-only poetry feed, where I read poetry twice a month and send it right to you, just for donating. And if you want to get an idea of what that's like, just listen to the episode right before this one, where I read Leaves of Grass. That's one that's just for our patrons, five dollars or more. So if you like those poetry readings, consider giving a little bit to the show. Every single dollar goes such a long way. So thank you very, very much. The music you're hearing uh, is from my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy was made by Gracie Kanan. To be completely honest, um, today is actually a pretty pretty big day. I have a lot going on. I'm moving out of my apartment. Um, I'm also going through a breakup, which is about as healthy as a breakup can be. But, you know, it's still tough. Maybe it's that season. Maybe it's the weather. But taking the time out of the day to read for this show and talk to people who reach out has been a really nice part of my life recently. It's definitely reminded me that there are a lot of people out there who will just support you no matter what you're going through. And I don't want to bother you with that as you're going to sleep, but I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and just being there at the other end of this microphone. Whenever I read, I know that somewhere it's helping someone sleep. And that, right now, means a lot. So, without further ado, tonight's book is Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. Now this is actually a recommendation from one of our listeners. And I decided I'd read it to you tonight, because I've actually never, ever read this book. I don't really know much what it's about. So I'm pretty excited to read it myself and read it so you can doze off into a deep, deep slumber. So lay your head back, get your pillow just how you like it, feel yourself melt into your bed from your toes down up to the top of your head, close your eyes and let me read to you. Chapter 1 My father had a small estate in Nottinghamshire. I was a third of five sons. He sent me to the Emmanuel College in Cambridge at 14 years old, where I resided three years and applied myself close to my studies. But the charge of maintaining me, although I had a very scanty allowance, being too great for a narrow fortune, I was bound apprentice to Mr. James Bates, an eminent surgeon in London, with whom I continued four years, and my father now and then, sending me small sums of money. I laid them out in learning navigation and other parts of mathematics, useful to those who intend to travel, as I always believed it would be some time or other my fortune to do. When I left Mr. Bates, I went down to my father, where, by the assistance of him and my Uncle John, and some other relations I got 40 pounds and a promise of 30 pounds a year to maintain me at Leyden. There I studied physic two years and seven months knowing it would be useful in long voyages. Soon after my return to Leyden I was recommended by my good master Mr. Bates to be surgeon to the swallow Captain Abraham Pennell Commander with whom I continued three years and a half, making a voyage or two into the Levant and some other parts. When I came back, I resolved to settle in London, to which Mr. Bates, my master, encouraged me, and by him I was recommended to several patients. I took part of a small house in the old jury, and, being advised to alter my condition, I married Mrs. Mary Burton, Second daughter to Mr. Edward Burton Hosier, in the Newgate Street, with whom I received four hundred pounds for a portion. But my good friend Master Bates dying in two years after, and I having few friends, my business began to fail. For my conscience would not suffer me to imitate the bad practice of too many among my brethren. Having therefore consulted with my wife and some of my acquaintance. I determined again to go to sea. I was surgeon successively in two ships and made several voyages for six years to the East and West Indies by which I got some addition to my fortune. My hours of leisure I spent in reading the best authors, ancient and modern, being always provided with a good number of books. And when I was ashore, in observing the manners and dispositions of the people, as well as learning their language, wherein I had a great facility by the strength of my memory. The last of these voyages, not proving very fortunate, I grew weary of the sea, and intended to stay at home with my wife and family. I removed from the old Jerry to Fetter Lane, and from thence to Wapping, hoping to get some business among the sailors, but it would not turn to account. After three years' expectation that things would mend, I accepted an advantageous offer from Captain William Pritchard, master of the antelope, who was making a voyage to the South Sea. We set sail from Bristol, May 4, 1699, and our voyage at first was very prosperous. It would not be proper for some reasons to trouble the reader with the particulars of our adventures in those seas. Let us suffice to inform him that in our passage, from thence to the East Indies, we were driven by violent storm to the northwest of Van Diemen's land. By an observation, we found ourselves in the latitude thirty degrees, two minutes south. Twelve of our new crew were dead by a moderate labor and ill food. The rest were in very weak condition. On the 5th of November, which was the beginning of summer in those parts, the weather being very hazy, the seamen spied a rock within half a cable's length of the ship, but the wind was so strong that we were driven directly upon it and immediately split. Six of the crew, of whom I was one, having let down the boat into the sea, made a shift to get clear of the ship and the rock. We rowed by my computation about three leagues till we were able to work no longer, being already spent with labor while we were in the ship. We therefore trusted ourselves to the mercy of the waves, and in about half an hour the boat was overset by a sudden flurry from the north. What became of my companions in the boat, as well as those who escaped on the rock or were left in the vessel? I cannot tell, but conclude that they were all lost. For my own part, I swam as fortune directed me and was pushed forward by the wind and the tide. I often let my legs drop and could feel no bottom, but when I was almost gone and able to struggle no longer, I found myself within my depth, and by this time the storm was much abated. The declivity was so small that I walked near a mile before I got to the shore, where I conjectured it was about 8 o'clock in the evening. I then advanced forward near half a mile, but could not discover any signs of houses or inhabitants. At least I was in so weak a condition that I did not observe them. I was extremely tired, and with that, the heat of the weather and about half a pint of brandy, that I drank as I left the ship, I found myself much inclined to sleep. I lay down on the grass, which was very short and soft, where I slept sounder than ever I remember to have done in my life, and as I reckon, above nine hours, for when I waked it was just daylight. I attempted to rise, but was not able to stir, whereas I happened to lie on my back. I found my arms and legs were strongly fastened on each side to the ground, and my hair, which was long and thick, tied down in the same manner. I likewise felt several slender ligatures across my body, from my armpits to my thighs. I could only look upwards. The sun began to grow hot, and the light offended mine eyes. I heard a confused noise about me, but in the posture I lay, could see nothing except the sky. In a little time, I felt something alive moving on my leg, which advancing gently forward over my breast, came almost up to my chin. When bending my eyes downwards as much as I could, I perceived it to be a human creature, not six inches high, with a bow and arrow in his hands, and a quiver at his back. In the meantime, I felt at least forty more, of the same kind, as I conjectured following the first. I was in the utmost astonishment, and roared so loud that they all ran back in a fright, and some of them, as I was afterwards told, were hurt in the falls they got by leaping from my sides upon the ground. However, they soon returned, and one of them, who ventured so far as to get a full sight of my face, lifting up his hands and eyes by way of admiration, cried out in a shrill but distinct voice, "Hakina Daegle. The others repeated the same words several times, but I then not knew what they meant. I lay all this while, as the reader may believe, in great uneasiness, at length struggling to get loose, had fortune to break the strings, and wrench out the pegs that fastened my left arm to the ground. For, by lifting it up to my face, I discovered the methods they had taken to bind me. And at the same time, with a violent pull, which gave me excessive pain, I, a little loosened the strings that tied down my hair on the left side, so that I was just able to turn my head about two inches. But the creatures ran off a second time, before I could seize them whereupon there was a great shout and a very shrill accent and after it ceased I heard one of them cry aloud Togo Fanak." when in an instant I felt above a hundred arrows discharged on my left hand which pricked me like so many needles and besides they shot another flight into the air as we do bombs in Europe or of many, I suppose, fell on my body, though I felt them not, and some on my face, which I immediately covered with my left hand. When the shower of arrows was over, I fell a groaning, grief, and pain, and then striving again to get loose. They discharged another volley, larger than the first, and some of them attempted with spears to stick me in the sides. But, by good luck, I had on me a buff jerkin, which they could not pierce. I thought it was the most prudent method to lie still, and my design was to continue so till night, when my left hand being already loose, I could easily free myself. And as for the inhabitants, I had reason to believe I might be a match for the greatest armies they could bring against me, that they were all the same size with him that I saw. But fortune disposed otherwise of me. When the people observed, I was quiet. They discharged no more arrows, but by the noise increasing, I knew their numbers were greater. At about four yards from me, over against my right ear, I heard a knocking, far above an hour, like people at work. When turning my head that way, as well as the pegs and strings would permit me, I saw a stage erected, about a foot and a half from the ground, capable of holding four of the inhabitants, with two or three ladders to mount it. From whence one of them, who seemed to be a person of quality, made me a long speech, whereof I understood not one syllable. But I should have mentioned that before the principal person began his oration, he cried out three times, Langro, del son." These words in the former were afterwards repeated and explained to me. Whereupon, immediately, about fifty of the inhabitants came and cut the strings that fastened to the left side of my head, which gave me the liberty of turning it to the right and of observing the person and gesture of him who was to speak. He appeared to me of middle age and taller than any of the other three who attended him, or of one was a page, who held up his train and seemed to be somewhat longer than my middle finger, and other two who stood on each side to support him. He acted every part of the orator, and I could observe many periods of threatenings and others of promises, pity, and kindness. I answered in a few words, but in the most submissive manner, lifting up my left hand and both mine eyes to the sun, as calling him for a witness and being almost famished with hunger, having not eaten a morsel for some hours before I left the ship. I found the demands of nature so strong upon me that I could not forbear showing my impatience, perhaps the strict rules of decency, by putting my finger frequently on my mouth to signify that I wanted food. The Hergo, for so they call the Great Lord, as I afterwards learned, understood me very well. He descended from the stage and commanded that several ladders should be applied to my sides, on which above a hundred inhabitants mounted and walked towards my mouth, laden with baskets full of meat, which had been provided and sent thither to the king's orders upon my first intelligence he received of me. I observed there was a flesh of several animals, but could not distinguish them by the taste. There were shoulders, legs, and loins, shaped like those of mutton, and very well dressed, but smaller than the wings of a lark. I eat them by two or three at a mouthful, and two or three loaves at a time, about the bigness of the musket bullets. They supplied me as fast as they could. Shewing a thousand marks of wonder and astonishment at my bulk and appetite. I then made another sign that I wanted drink. They found by my eating that a small quantity would not suffice me, and being a most ingenious people, they slung up with their great dexterity one of the largest hogsheads, then rolled it towards my hand and beat out the top. I drank it off at a draft, which I might well do, for it hardly held half a pint, and tasted like a small wine of burgundy, but much more delicious. They brought me a second hog's head, which I drank in the same manner, and made signs for more, but they had none to give me. When I performed these wonders, they shouted for joy, and danced upon my breast, repeating several times as they did, at first, Hikina Daigle, They made me a sign that I shouldn't throw down the two hogsheads, but first warned the people below to stand out of the way, crying aloud, Barak Mivola. And when they saw the vessels in the air, there was a universal shout of Hekina Dagul." I confess, I was often tempted, while they were passing backwards and forwards on my body, to seize forty or fifty of the first that came into my reach and dash them against the ground but the remembrance of what I had felt which probably not be the worst they could do and the promise of honor that I made them for so I interpreted my submissive behavior soon drove out those imaginations besides I now consider myself as bound by the laws of hospitality to a people who had treated me with so much expense and magnificence However, in my thoughts I cannot sufficiently wonder at the intrepidity of the diminutive mortals who durst venture and mount and walk on my body while one of my hands was at liberty without trembling at the very sight of so prodigious a creature as I must appear to them. After some time, when they observed that I made no more demands for me, they appeared before me a person of high rank, from the imperial majesty. His excellency, having mounted on the small of my right leg, advanced forwards to my face with about a dozen of his retinue, and producing the credentials under a signet royal, which he applied close to mine eyes, spoke about ten minutes without any signs of anger or the kind of determinate resolution, often pointing forward, which, as I afterwards found, towards the capital city about half a mile distant whither it was agreed by his majesty in council that i must be conveyed i answered in few words but to no purpose i made a sign with my hand that was loose putting it to the other but over his excellency's head for fear of hurting him or his train and then to my own head and body to signify that i desired my liberty it appeared that he understood me well enough for he shook his head by way of disapprobation and held his hand in a posture to shew that I must be carried as a prisoner however he made other signs to let me understand that I should have meat and drink enough and have very good treatment whereupon I once more thought of attempting to break my bonds but again when I felt the smart of their arrows upon my face and hands, which were all in blisters, and many of the enemies increased. I gave tokens to them, and let them know that they might do with me as they pleased. Upon this, the Hergo and his train withdrew, with much civility and cheerful countenances. Soon after I heard a general shout, with frequent repetitions of the words, Peplon Ceylon, and I felt great numbers of the people on my left side relaxing to the cords of such a degree that I was able to turn to my right and to ease myself in making water, which I very plentifully did, to the great astonishment of the people, who conjecturing by my motions what I was going to do, immediately opened to the right and left on that side to avoid the torrent which fell with such noise and violence from me. But before this, they had dabbed my face and both my hands with a sort of ointment very pleasant to the smell, which in a few minutes removed all smart of their arrows. These circumstances, added to the refreshment I had received by their victuals and drink, which were very nourishing, disposed me to sleep. I slept about eight hours, as I was afterwards assured, and it was no wonder, for the physicians, by the emperor's order, had mingled a sleeping potion in the hogshead of wine. It seems that upon my first moment, I discovered sleeping on the ground after my landing. The emperor had early notice of it by an express, and determined in the council that I should be tied in the manner I have related, which was done in the night while I slept. That plenty of meat and drink should be sent to me, and a machine prepared to carry me to the capital city. This resolution perhaps may appear very bold and dangerous, and I am confident would not be imitated by any prince in Europe on the like occasion. However, in my opinion, it was extremely prudent as well as generous. For supposing these people had endeavored to kill me with their spears and arrows while I slept, I should certainly have awaked with the first sense of smart which might so more have roused my rage and strength as to enable me to break the strings wherewith I was tied, after which as they were not able to make residence so they could expect no mercy. These people are most excellent mathematicians and arrive to a great perfection of mechanics by the countenance and encouragement of the emperor who is a renowned patron of learning. This prince hath several machines fixed on wheels for the carriage of trees and other great weights. He often buildeth his largest men of war, whereof some of nine feet long, in those woods where the timber grows and has them carried on these engines three or four hundred yards to the sea. Five hundred carpenters and engineers were immediately set at work, to prepare the greatest engine they had. It was a frame of wood raised three inches from the ground, about seven foot long and four wide, moving upon twenty-two wheels. The shout I heard was upon the arrival of this engine, which, it seems, set out in four hours after my landing. It was brought parallel to me as I lay, but the principal difficulty was to raise and place me in this vehicle 80 poles each of one one foot high were erected for this purpose very strong cords of bigness of pack thread were fastened by hooks to many bandages which the workmen had girt around my neck my hands my body and my legs 900 of the strongest men were employed to drop these cords by many pulleys fastened on the poles And thus in less than three hours, I was raised and slung into the engine, and there tied fast. All this I was told, for while the whole operation was performing, I lay in a profound sleep, by the force of that soporiferous medicine infused into my liquor. Fifteen hundred of the emperor's largest horses, each about four inches and a half high, were employed to draw me towards a metropolis which, as I said, was a half-mile distant. About four hours after we began our journey, I awaked by a very ridiculous accident. For the carriage being stopped a while to adjust something that was out of order, two or three of the young natives had the curiosity to see how I looked when I was asleep. They climbed up into the engine, and advancing very softly to my face, one of them, an officer in the guards put the sharp end of his half-pike a good way up into my left nostril, which tickled my nose like a straw and made me sneeze violently, whereupon they stole off unperceived, and it was three weeks before I knew the cause of my awakening so suddenly. We made a long march, the remaining part of the day, and rested that night with five hundred guards on each side of me, half with torches and half with bow and arrows, ready to shoot me if I should offer to stir. The next morning at sunrise we continued our march and arrived within two hundred yards of the city gates about noon. The emperor and all his court came out to meet us, but his great officers would by no means suffer his majesty to endanger his person by mounting on my body. At the place where the carriage stopped, there stood an ancient temple, esteemed to be the largest in the whole kingdom, which, having been polluted some years before by an unnatural murder, was, according to zeal of those people, looked upon as profane, and therefore had been applied to common use, and all the ornaments and furniture carried away. In this edifice it was determined I should lodge the great gate fronting the north was about four feet high and almost two feet wide through which I could easily creep. On each side of the gate was a small window not above six inches from the ground. Into that on the left side the king smiths conveyed four score and eleven chains like those that hang to a lady's watch in Europe and almost as large which were locked to my left leg with six and thirty padlocks. Over against this temple, on the other side of the great highway, at twenty foot distance, there was a turret at least five foot high. Here the Emperor ascended with many principal lords of his court to have the opportunity of viewing me, as I was told, for I could not see them. It was reckoned that above a hundred thousand inhabitants came out to the town upon the same errand. And in spite of my guards, I believe there could not have been fewer than ten thousand at several times who mounted upon my body by the help of ladders. But a proclamation was soon issued to forbid it, upon pain of death. When the workmen found it was impossible for me to break loose, they cut all the strings that bound me, whereupon I rose up with as melancholy a disposition as I ever had in my life but with the noise and astonishment of the people at seeing me rise and walk are not yet to be expressed. The chains that held my left leg were about two yards long. It gave me not only the liberty of walking backwards and forwards in a semicircle, but being fixed within four inches of the gate allowed me to creep in and lie at my full length in the temple.